Yeah, g'day, mate. You're listening to a Radio 191 FM podcast. Right now, I am joined by poet, poet, author, all sorts, uh, Claudia Jardine, who has just written a new book called Biter. Kia ora, Claudia. How are we doing? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, yeah, good. Uh, it's, it's a very sunny day down here in Otipoti. Uh, we're about to you. How's the weather like where you're at? Uh, I'm in Eddington in Otatahi, and look, it's a little bit overcast, so I'm kind of jealous. But oh. I, think, I think we're going to get some sun later, fingers crossed. Nice, nice, nice. Well, uh, yeah, we're here to talk about your book, Biter, which came out in uh, kind of mid or early April, uh, which would be last month. Oh, my goodness. Time flies, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> now, well, I'll get onto the uh, the surface of the book first. The, the cover of Biter is a purple and pink drenched classical marble bust of a naked Greek man. And then in front of him, there's the title Biter in, in bold lime milk green coloring. Uh, it's very evocative stuff. How, how did you come up with the title for this, uh, you know, Biter? You know, what, what, what led you to that decision? Uh, the title comes from a poem in one of the in, a poem in the book, and the poem is a translation from um, an older uh, Byzantine poem. So we're talking like a thousand years ago. And the cover, oh my gosh, Philip Kelly designed the cover. I I can't stop. I, I love it. I love it so much. Every interview, people are like, "What is going on with that cover?" And I'm like, "Look, I think you got to ask Philip." But it's amazing. Um, the way the font doubles up like that, like that's just that's genius. Um, and I'm going to actually correct you on something. The the bust is um, is Greek, sure, but it's actually of a Trojan. Oh. Um, if, if there are any fans out there of the, tro- the Trojan War, or maybe the Iliad, um, Laocoon is the Trojan priest who, uh, when the wooden horse rocks up to Troy and the Greeks are hiding inside it, mm-hmm. Laocoon says, hey, um, I think we should not accept that giant wooden horse, and I think we should not bring it into the city. And the Trojans are kind of like, oh... Yeah, maybe you're right. And then Athena, um, the Greek goddess, sends sea serpents from the ocean to come and eat and kill him on the spot. So um, the statue on the cover is is, is that's what's happening. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, yeah, that's oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Now you're quite a fan of, of classics. You studied it in your time uh, at Victoria University, and it seems that uh, you know as though it seems as though that classical background. Um, and uh, you know all these ancient Greek ancient Greek epigrams have informed uh, a, a decent amount of the material uh, on Biter. Um, what inspired you to do classics in the first place? Uh, I just kind of wanted to have a corridor with my ancestors, eh? Like, I mean, uh, my mum's side of the family comes from Malta, which is in the middle of the Mediterranean, and it's one of these like tiny little island nations that was colonised by pretty much every major power that uh, that held the central Mediterranean and central Europe. And, um, yeah, when I was interested in looking into subjects at school, I saw that classics was on offer, and I thought, oh, yeah, like, that's, that's relevant to, to me and to, and to my past and my ancestors. Like, I'll check that out. And, um, I, yeah, loved it. I mean, it's a holistic field, you know? Like, you, you study classics, and you're actually studying, like, art history, history, political history, mm. um, languages, poetry, everything. Philosophy. You know, it's all wrapped together, and yeah. that's really did it for me. Awesome. Uh, you mentioned in an interview with NZ Book Lovers that this book features translations of Byzantine and classical Greek poems, uh, and that while you were studying the political history of Greece and Rome, you were secretly wondering what those ancient folks' loves lives would have been like. Um, did you end up doing a lot of research about the loves lives, the love lives of the classical world? 
Well, I mean, I definitely inferred a lot of research from the poetry. <laughs> um, I just, I, yeah, I totally wish we had more literature surviving. That's the big thing, right? Like, so much of the literature of the past is, is lost to us for so many reasons. Like, I mean, it's obvious to say things like, the, the literal physical conditions they were kept in. You know, like, moths probably ate a lot of mm. the, the diaries of the important people of the past, and that's why we don't know, you know, how many people they were seeing and where they were going on dates. Um, but then there's also other stuff going on, like patriarchy and that kind of stuff. You know, there aren't many female authors whose work survived. Um, and many of them probably would have been anonymous, even if it had survived. So mm. there are some poems in here that are translated by, you know, an anonymous... Well, sorry, they're translated by me, but they're by an anonymous poet. And look, we have no idea who really wrote them. Um, so, yeah, just want to put that out there. Don't rule it out. No, that's very <laughs> fascinating stuff. Um, in the same interview, you mentioned that the source material you translated epigrams from uh, was the, the Palatine Anthology. When did you first come across this book, and why do you think it's resonated with you so much? I first came across it when I was doing an honours thesis at Victoria for Classics. Um, I ended up doing an honours thesis on hickeys in Latin love poetry. I just thought they were really, really fascinating. You know, like there are these poems where people are, are flaunting their like, little bruises on their neck or maybe um, they wish they had them or they're talking about how they're really good at giving them. Um, <laughs> that kind of stuff. And I just thought that was really uh, funny. <laughs> um, and also kind of like a, a link to the modern world, right? Like, actually, I was in Dunedin two weeks ago with my friends to launch this book and we were sitting at... Um, uh, is it Reburger? Reburger, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, near the, book, near the university bookshop. And um, uh, two young people walked past, and one of them had a massive hickey on their neck. And my friend just, like, burst out laughing and then, like, had to wait until they'd walked away until she could tell me why. So there is still this, like, um, there is still this thing, right, about when you see someone with, with a hickey on their neck, you're kind of like, oh, what have you been getting up to? Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I felt that way about the ancient world. I was like, oh, my God, what are these poets up to with these hickeys on their necks? I'm going to write a thesis about that. And then when I was researching the vocab that used to describe the hickeys, um, I was looking in, you know, like, ancient dictionaries and lexicons, and uh, the dictionaries often will point to, you know, like, this word is used here in this text. And it was like a little magical code, you know? It would say PA five point, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so then I went I went looking, I went researching, and I realized the PA stands for Palestine Anthology. And there are poems in there that feature, feature biting and feature hookies, which is, where, which is where Biter, the title, comes from. One of those poems. Oh, uh, right. Oh, uh, yes. That's... That makes a lot of sense now. It <laughs> um, <laughs> kind of came full circle away. I- I'm curious. I-, I did a classics paper myself. I just did one classics paper. Nowhere near the, the knowledge that you have, obviously. Um, <laughs> but, oh my God, where was I going with this? There seems to be a lot that we don't know, as you are mentioning before. And I'm curious. You're translating this book from... What language? Would that be German? It's in, it's in ancient Greek. In ancient Greek. Because yep. I thought, okay, right, because that book was discovered in 1600s in Germany at yeah, some point. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah I, I went to the Wikipedia article just to have a little look. Um, <laughs> how, how, do you think there are some things that we, we, we've kind of, you know, that you might have lost in translation with this because of how we don't know exactly how the languages were? Or, or, or was this pretty rough, uh, pretty sorry, sorry, was it pretty accurate translation? Oh, look, like, I think there are totally... I mean, translation is an interesting field, right? Because it always comes down to the brain of the translator, what you save and what you what you shuck, you know? Mm. And there are definitely translations in, in my book where I have used some creative liberties, you know, like I've changed a poem from being, like, in the third person, like having a third person subject to having a second person one, um, just because I found, like, the, the name of the um, person the poem was about was just, like, a little bit, like... 
uh, I don't know, it didn't really sort of seem to fit the rhythm of the poem for me, so I just kind of ditched it and was like, oh, I'll, I'll dress this poem to an imaginary you, you know, mm-hmm. um, rather than a third, rather than a person. And, um, yeah, I mean, I've made choices like that, and I've definitely, like, taken some creative liberties with regard to, like, I don't know if you've, I don't know if you've read them all, but there is one in there called Mad Dog, and in the poem, you know, the, the poetic persona just kind of dissolves into, like, frothing and barking like a, like a mad dog. And I mean, that's not in the ancient Greek version of the poem. Um, but what is in the ancient Greek poem is like uh, a, a heavy, um, a heavy use of the second person pronoun, which kind of implies like someone. It implies to me someone kind of like um, fumbling to speak, or kind of like kind of getting kind of getting their tongue caught on the words, and like they're trying to say something important, but they just can't quite spit it out. So um, I, I sort of turned that into you know like a dog kind of chomping and, and gnashing. Um, and so maybe in the future academics are going to look at these translations and be like oh my god like what was she up to <laughs> um, but I mean I'll leave that for them to write their 489 theses on that's, that's cool I'm cool with that I made peace with it <laughs> now this is the second book that you've authored uh, is your first one was a, a poetry collection you co-authored with uh, Reese Feeney and Rhea Massey I'm not sure if I'm getting that name right um, why did you choose to go alone on this one and what were some of the you know differences you found in writing a book solo compared to co-authoring Ooh, okay, so that first one, it was AUP New Poets 7, and that series is great because it takes three new emerging poets and, and, and puts them together into one volume to kind of, like, share the load with regards to the responsibilities of promoting your book and getting it out there and, um, you know, sort of building, building rapport, building a name for yourself. And, um, yeah, it just takes the heat off a bit, you know, like, because there's three of you, you can kind of work together mm-hmm. and you, you have a bit more support coming into the world of publishing because... I mean, it's an interesting. It's an interesting place to have a career, um, and I think it always helps to know how other people are finding it. You know, it's like solidarity, right? Um, and you also have a pretty transparent idea of what how it's going for them. You know, um, and I also like Ria and Reese are, are honeys. I love them. I, I love their work, and I think that we're a really nice mix in that new poet seven because um, we have like you know we have similar degrees of sort of. Um, anxiety and maybe some neuroses about the world, but also we we all have our different kind of way of being in the world and our different experience. And um, yeah, when when I when I came to realise that I had another like whole collection in, in my computer ready to go, um, yeah, it's a no brainer. You know, like you, you do the new poets, you have some friends on board, and then you you do your own thing. You re- you release your own book, and then you're like in the world, and it's just your book. It's just more of a kind of a you thing. You, you get your own baby, your, yeah, own, your exactly. brainchild. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, like yeah, new yeah. poets is kind of like a little, um, like being at the kids' table, and then you get your own book, and you're like at the adult table. Yeah. That's <laughs> pretty sick. It's pretty sick. Um, now, lastly, we'll have you here. Be la- this will be the last question. Um, you've got big plans for the future as you're getting married this year. Congratulations. Oh, and thank you. You're looking for a uh, residency to kickstart your next project. When are you tying the knot, and what is the next creative step for you? We're planning to tie the knot in January, fingers crossed. Um, probably here in Ototahi in my parents' backyard. Oh, beautiful. Um, which should be real cute. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, cr- creatively, I, yeah, I'm trying to find a residency because I want to I wanna get started on another project. And, like, nothing really does it for the brain, like, not having to worry about the rent and the bills for a little while, you know? Yeah. I, I work in the arts. I'm a, it's like an arts administrator and communications advisor and I have like three part-time jobs and I teach creative writing and it's all real cool and fun and I like it because I'm like I'm here and I'm, I'm in my in my zone 
and all of my jobs kind of have, um, they all have similar goals, you know, it's all just about like improving the, the writing world for people in New Zealand and, you know, sharing the love in that, in that regard. Mm. And um, yeah, I really want another residency because I have so many ideas, but I just like need the time and the space to go there full time into my brain. Yeah. Fair enough, fair enough, <laughs> mate. Fair enough. Well, thank you so much for joining uh, me this morning here on the DP Aging Late Breakfast. Lovely having you. All good. Thank you so much. No worries. Take care, mate. Have a lovely, uh, a lovely afternoon. Will do. Cool. See ya. Kakite. That was Claudia Jardine. She's a poet, writer, classics um, expert. Uh, talking about their latest book, Biter. You can find it online. I'm sure of it. You can. I'm pretty sure it's on the Auckland Publishing website. You can just like a biter book, Claudia Jardine. It'll come up if you're if you're interested. Um, it's a yeah, it seems like a very very cool book. Lovely to have Claudia on. Very very fascinating stuff. All the hickey poetry. That sounds like a great read. Yeah, now seems that was a Radio One ninety one FM podcast. You can find more of them at r1.co.nz/podcast.